Okay, here we go. Welcome to episode 334. I'm Brian Levin. Of the Design of Details podcast. Oh, I you didn't even say You fucked it up. You <laughs> fucked it up. No. <laughs> 334 episodes and I fucked it up. Yeah, step aside, paddle on, let the master show you how it's done. I blame the fact that it's 1045 and my belly is full of ice cream. Welcome to episode 334 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, going to keep it a short one today. Yeah, I think we actually have a chance. Like We have our outline ready, and it looks manageable. I think this is going to be a nice in and out, uh, one commute kind of podcast. Sure. If we measure, if podcasts from here on out are measured by commutes, this will be a one direction length podcast. Uh, can I be Zane? God, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Never say anything about that. It's a callback. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's jump into it. We have some new supporters this week. Huge shout outs to Elias, Peter, Reaper, Reynolds, which is a dope name. Yeah. Peter, Reaper, Reynolds. Reaper, Reynolds is hyphenated. It's got a good cadence to it. Peter, Reaper, Reynolds. Lovely rhythm you got there, Peter. All right, Will Vaughn, Sean Cushy, Robert Weisbecker. Dan Wu and Chen Lee. Holy smokes. Thank you all so much for supporting the podcast. Thank you. For those who don't know, we're a listener supported podcast. For just a dollar a month, you can get a private RSS feed of the show, access to bonus land, bonus land, bonus land, uh, as well as ad free episodes. It's at patreon.com slash design details. We're also supported this week by Sisu. Sisu is looking for a thoughtful and data savvy designer to help them build the next generation of analytic software. You can find out more at sisu.ai. That's S-I-S-U dot A-I. We're also supported this week by Pathrise. Pathrise is an online mentorship program that helps you land a great UX job. Previous fellows have been placed at Google, IBM, Atlassian, and other exciting companies. You can learn more at pathrise.com slash details. All right, we got some follow-up. This one is a little bit of a hoot because this is like an evolving thing that I didn't realize was evolving. But friend of the pod, Michael Kneprath, left us a review on iTunes like years ago. Uh And I discovered that he's been leaving little edits in his (laughs) iTunes review Uh as we go along. So I don't have a timestamp for the first one, but it's updated. It says, update. August 27, 2018. Still loving it. Uh, Nice. But we got a new update just uh, last week. So we got an update. February 7th, 2020, colon. A podcast I keep coming back to time and time again. Uh, Come on. (laughs) Oh, Michael. (sighs) Well done, sir. Well done. Making my day. This is the first time I've heard. I I hadn't heard the, uh, the review until now. This is my first time hearing it. I very much appreciate it. Thanks for the review. We also have a little bit of follow-up from our episode last week talking about self-reviews. Yeah. Okay. So the first one comes from Cody Iddings on Twitter. Cody says, one of the things I've learned about self-reviews is to be really transparent about the things that aren't going well. If I can see it and admit it, that shows maturity as opposed to talking just about what's going well. Totally agree, Cody. I think it's fine to 
Well, hang on. I think it's fine to be transparent, but hmm, hang on. Oh man, this is a little bit complicated. I I don't think there's anything wrong with being transparent. I'll say that. But I'm wondering if the self-review is really the right time to like air this kind of stuff. I, I can imagine that the areas where you're struggling, the areas that aren't working well, those are great conversations for like a one-on-one with a manager. But like having that memorialized in the one-on-one as part of your like quote-unquote permanent record within your company <laughs> is a little scary. I don't know. I tried to stay more like positive. I don't, how do you feel about this, Marshall? You're basically talking about uh, omitting Especially negative things. Oh, well, now this makes me sound unethical. (laughs) (laughs) I understand what you're saying. Like, don't say anything that isn't true, but only say the positive things. I mean, there's usually, we we spoke about, there's usually a a section for ways I can improve. This is great fodder for, for that section. And I think that's kind of what's expected in that section, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess that's the right section. And you want to be transparent there. Uh I guess I'm just saying, like, I don't think you need to go overboard on, like, being really negative about yourself in the self-review. It's like, yeah, sure, there's areas you want to grow, but, like, overall, try and talk up the things that you did well and the things that people didn't notice that you contributed to. I guess we're agreeing. Yeah, we're agreeing. We we made a roundabout (laughs) circuitous route to get there, but we got there. And we also heard from Emma Gilbert on the same topic. She says... Talking up your accomplishments does not equal bragging, it's preservation. I had a manager at a big company tell me once, if it's not in the review, it's like it never happened. Think about what would be left of your perceived team value if your entire team quit and were replaced the next day. She goes on to say, I also disagree that you cannot call yourself funny or kind. You totally can, just maybe not in those words in order to be taken seriously. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then she goes on to describe ways that you could say you're funny or nice without saying you're funny or nice. But right, I think the point that I was trying to make was it's hard to be objective about yourself. And it's a lot easier to uh, rely on other people to tell you those things about yourself. But this advice that your manager gave, I think is really good advice. And I appreciate you uh, repeating it here, which is if it's not in the review, it's like it never happened. So if you're going to claim credit for something, fucking do it. Yeah, I think the manager's coming from the right point of view. If it if it's not in the review, it's like it never happened. But think about like that's true for the positive things you want to capture the the good things you do. And it's also going to be true for the negative things like this is what will be reflected on when you're up for promo or when you're figuring out leveling and compensation and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, like be transparent about the good things and candid about the the things you're working on. I Yeah, I feel like both of these tweets are, are coming at it from the just the opposite angle or the like one positive, one negative, but both are saying like, yes, be transparent, say the things that you need to say and have honest conversations uh, upstream with your managers. Cool. Uh, let's jump into some tweets. We got some tweets this week. Yeah, so we got a, a quick tweet from Anchor Parihar, uh, who, oh, I'm sure I'm messing up that pronunciation, but they were having troubles uh, finding our show notes and chapters that we've been talking about recently in Spotify. And uh, the reason for that is Spotify doesn't support chapters as far as I can tell. This is crazy to me. So I don't know how much more I can plug Pocket Casts, but like, <laughs> okay, Spotify obviously catching up a little bit here, but like show notes, chapters, like those feel like pretty core components of what a podcast is and not supporting that feels bad. 
what I thought was really interesting is that Apple Podcasts got lumped in here too. And my response was that, hey, um, on the now playing screen, you have to scroll up. And I think this is a, a large surprise to our friend Anker, who, who uh, did not know that you could scroll up on the screen that has no indication whatsoever that you can scroll up on it. And there's more stuff below. Oh, my God. Yeah. I just noticed this, too. Yeah, yeah, it's oh. hidden below. There's a one-time tooltip at the very, 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 very beginning. A little, little educational thing that says, "Hey, there's more stuff below here. You can scroll up." And as soon as you dismiss it, it's gone forever. And you, and if you don't know, you don't know. This is bad. This is very bad. Well, so Apple Music had this problem for a while, right? Yeah. And they had to readjust the UI so that you could peek something at the bottom, right? No, they they changed the UI entirely, such that instead of having scrolling, they had this weird like toolbar slash tab bar hybrid thing at the bottom that you you tap on buttons oh, for okay. like lyrics and it puts you into like a lyric mode that you have to mm, like disable mm-hmm. but then there's also like your cue and then there's a middle button which is more like a toolbar not a tab bar where it takes you to your airplay options but it's a it's a strange pattern but it works better than the hidden scroll and my guess is just uh podcast isn't caught up to the new style that music is defined yeah i I don't use podcasts but there's nothing about this screen's design that indicates that there is content to be found by scrolling up nope in fact the modal's design only affords that you would ever scroll it down yep so yep (laughs) no bounce like no little lift up to show me like hey there's stuff below here in the same way that the home indicator does a little dance for you on the lock screen before you open it but every time every time even years after you've swiped up on the bottom of the screen a million times i know how that works it still gives me the nice indication and then yeah just in case you forgot (laughs) yep but here Jack, you don't get mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. Hope you listened the first time because we're never going to tell you again. But yeah, I guess you just redesigned that screen and it's not a problem anymore. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy we could solve that problem for you, Anker. And if, if you, listener, are having the same issue, there's your solution. Spotify, you're screwed. Apple Podcasts, scroll up or scroll down. Pull up, gesture up. I always get those confused. Like, which one do you say? Scroll up because you move your thumb up or is it scroll down because the view is going down? I don't know. Oh, interesting. I mean, that's the whole natural scroll debate, right? Oh, yeah. Are you a natural scroller on your trackpad? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, I think that switch makes sense. Um, but I understand why it was the other way for so long. Yeah, me too. You are touching the content and pushing and dragging the content, not the... Not the frame, the window. Okay, next tweet. Uh, we heard from Lily who is a designer in San Francisco, Lily says, you all mentioned that creating your own meetup is a great way to meet designers in a new city. Confirmed. That's exactly what I did. And uh, Lily has a link. We'll put this in the show notes, but it's to a meetup on meetup.com called San Francisco Product Designers. It's a private group with 286 members, which is awesome. Looks like there's it's it's been around for a little bit. I'm seeing like the uh, three meetups ago was in August, but really cool. Lily put together a meetup for product designers here in SF. So if you are in San Francisco, check out the link in the show notes. And this last tweet comes from Long Long. She says, it's cool to hear my name on design details, which I've listened to since 2016. Brian, 2016. That is a long time long time hey. <laughs> uh 
but we we were looking like cross referencing the Twitter username. We're like, when did we mention this person's name? Did a little digging, aka clicked the link in the bio and found out this is a uh, Wan Long Hung who is registered on Patreon as Wan Jung Hung, who uh, became a supporter last week. So a little confused on the name just because I think there's different usernames on different platforms, but mm-hmm. overall. Thank you very much. It means a lot. Appreciate that. You're a regular old Sherlock over here, buddy. <laughs> I'm the, clicking links in bios, reading things on the screen. Hackety, 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 hackety. I'll do hackety. anything to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, does that make me Watson? Yes, yeah. All right, let's move on to news. This week, I have one thing that I want to call out in the news. It's not brand new, but we've never talked about it on the show, and I think it's pretty fucking cool, Brian. Uh it's this thing called play. Now, we've talked about it a little bit offline, and I showed you this, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. But for the listeners, I'll give a quick rundown. Play is a mobile design application on your mobile device for iOS. So uh, I think the whole concept behind it is why do we use desktops to design in these little windows for phones and then we end up having to export and like use a mirror program or something to like or build a prototype and then look at it on our phones and then back and forth and back and forth. That's fucking stupid. Why don't we just design on our phones? And I think the answer up until now has been how do you even do that? That's really hard. Like, the, you know, how do you it'd be like designing sketch and sketch. That'd be really fucking confusing. Yeah. But yeah. If you check out this link, look at some of the videos, go to their Medium post where they announce themselves to the world, and look at some of those videos, and this shit is mind-blowing. Brian, have you dove deep on this, or uh, are you just surface level? Yeah, I've gone through the website and looked at, they have like a launch video, which is kind of just a Mm -hmm. montage of how it might work. It looks impressive, but again, it comes back to like, how do you design a tool on the phone that lets you design your own app. So like, how do you not confuse the UI of the thing that you're designing and the UI of the thing doing the designing, right? Like, yeah, it could get very confusing very quickly. So solving that problem is key, right? Yeah, and and I can answer that question yeah. based on my cursory observation of how these things work. Uh, well, first off, it seems like there's an interaction mode and an editing mode. And when you're in interaction mode, you can seems like you can double tap on elements and then get into editing mode for those things. And it brings up panels and there's a swipe in from the right kind of a menu thing, it looks like. Uh, but it, it utilizes a lot of sliders, it seems. There's sliders galore throughout this thing. Everything from adjusting distances or you know measurements of stuff to switching between different styles of things. A lot of gesture-based stuff, too, as well, where uh, maybe this is some of the early prototype, but to go from a vertical layout with, like, an image over text, you do a little swipe on it from left to right, and it changes the text to be right aligned and the image on the left. Really interesting, like, Mm -hmm. gestural-based layout controls. Um, I think maybe that was just an early prototype. I'm not sure if that made it all the way to the end, but it seems like they have a lot of built-in libraries so there's talk of unsplash support in the future but in the short term they have all these built-in lorem ipsum libraries of like different chunks of text you can plug in plus there's all sorts of primitives that you can add but what gets really fucking cool is they have transition presets that you can customize and 
Hold on to your seats, Brian. There's a code mode. Code mode? Which reminds me very much of Apple Shortcuts, if you're familiar with the oh, kind of if-else yeah. you know, nesting of mm-hmm. these little cards and stuff. Like, Yeah, it feels very much like that, but they say that it allows you to create any interaction, build any interaction that you can imagine, which to me is kind of like uh, magic, and I... We'll believe it when I see it, but I want to believe it, Brian. I want to believe. I'm Mulder over here. Well, here's what I'm trying to figure out is uh, in our notes, it says that this exports to Xcode with Swift. Yeah. And anytime I hear code export, I mean, your mind immediately jumps to Dreamweaver. Dreamweaver. And I just wonder, like, this is where the rubber meets the road. Like, what is the purpose of the tool? Because if you're exporting anything to Swift, it implies that you are designing a production-ready application, and there are high expectations if you decide to go that route. But I wonder if if the framing of this Swift export is just more on like the visual side or the layout side or maybe some interaction and not necessarily on an entire construction of an app. But yeah, if the code quality sucks, like maybe that's where you get tension with engineering, right? Is like, Okay, cool. Your design tool did this thing, but it exported code that we can't actually use. So we have to rewrite it anyways. So yeah, we'll we'll have to see, right? Yeah, this is why I want to get my greedy little paws on it, Brian. I want to play around mm-hmm. with it. So if if you if this is interesting to you at all, check out the medium article in the show notes. It's long with lots of illustrative videos and cool insight. I'm stoked. I think it's really cool. I just want to play around with it. It's very ambitious. Like, oh god, even just the feature set that they've shown in this beta is ambitious as hell. Like real time yeah. collaboration and commenting and like crazy shit. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we'll see. But play createwithplay.com. Check it out. Cool. All right, let's get into a listener question or two here, Brian. I'll do the first because this was a DM sent to me by Sankith. Sankith says, in the recent design details episode, you had answered a question about how to make sure a design looks the same on all screen sizes. You mentioned about having a uniform padding from the screen ends. Can you elaborate on this a bit? Absolutely. Oh boy, can he. (laughs) Welcome to my world of design systems and padding and numbers Mm -hmm. and and constants. Uh, Yeah, this is my jam. So actually, I think there's... This is a good opportunity to bring up the concept of design tokens. Are you familiar with this concept, Brian? Yes, I have heard of design tokens. Well, I know that this phrase is contentious among design systems Twitter, which, by the way, is a subset of design Twitter. I need to get in on that. There is a very, very specific cohort of folks that are all working in design systems and I learned this at Config or FigCon. <laughs> and like there is this subset of design Twitter drama only for those people. And this is one of the topics <laughs> that, that that community has worked up over. Uh, well, would you like to explain it for the listeners? I think this is what it comes down to. It's like, how, how do you define a token? And you kind of wrap around to this word variable. It's like, it's a way to describe the value of a name, right? Like mm-hmm. a key value pair, a variable. Mm-hmm. Like there's all these programming terms to describe it, mm-hmm. but we're having to come up with this new word called a design token. And so I think that's where the tension is. It's like this branded convoluted thing instead of just saying variables like spacing, 
four or you know whatever um and it's less a variable than it is a constant right yeah yeah constant yeah 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 that would be the more accurate version right so i guess this is a roundabout way of saying one of the things you should keep in mind at all times when you're designing stuff is key lines and this is a term I used recently, and the person I was talking to didn't know what, what I meant by a key line. Brian, you know what I mean by key lines? I'm not sure I do. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe this is like a, a Google term or something, but it's basically the idea that you have a consistent vertical boundary that aligns across multiple elements such that it creates a visual line, a key line for your eye to follow. Typically, you see this in a left margin, right? Got it. So, oh, okay. Like the 64 points on Android. It's 72, but yeah. No. Yeah. So uh, on Android... No. Well, then you have to edit this out. How dare. What? <laughs> on on Android, the guidance is that you have one key line at 16 points from the left edge of the screen, or I guess the leading edge of the screen, depending on which direction your language goes. But But you have this key line 16 points from the edge of the screen. And all of your elements, if you have an avatar, that goes all the way to the left, text aligns to that, everything aligns to that, unless it goes full bleed all the way to the edge of the screen. Typically, you have the same margin on the right side, but you can also have interior key lines. So on material, there's guidance for a second key line, 72 points from the edge, and that's accounting for... 16 points of padding and a 40-point avatar, and then another 16 points after that before you get to a text field, like a name next to the avatar or something like that. So if you have a screen that has a bunch of different elements on it and some of those elements are indented, you make sure that not only is your left margin consistent vertically down the entire length of the screen, but also your indented key line is consistent as well. So you end up with this visual consistency through the entire screen using these key lines. Does this make sense? It makes sense. I'm I'm having to double check all I'm like literally double checking my mocks to see why mine are 64 and the spec is 72 and it's because we just have tighter margins in the navbar cuz I think in the spec it's they have 16 24 32 which I, I don't like personally. I don't think that material like there's the navbars are way too airy but Yeah, and I think some of the later Advice in navbars specifically is to go 16, 24, 16. So you end up with the same amount of spacing to the left of the back arrow as you do to the right of it. Yeah. But yeah, I, and I th to, to answer your question, <laughs> ultimately is you want to figure out what these key lines are. And when you go between different devices, those key lines can change their value, right? So on a phone... You can get away with 12 or 16 points from the edge, and it feels okay. It doesn't feel too crowded. But if you do that exact same key line value on a, an iPad, it feels really tight. Like everything feels too close to the edge of the screen. So on larger devices, you want to have key lines that are further from the edge of the screen. Typically on iPad, it's 24. That extra eight points makes a big difference when it comes to the feel of the app. And Ultimately, you want to make sure that everything is aligned to those key lines. And like I was saying in the episode that we we're referencing, it's not too hard to transition mocks between different sizes of phones because the key line is going to stay the same. Same thing with tablets. And the transition from mobile to tablet is as simple sometimes as just beefing up those key line values so that you have a little bit more distance from the edge of the screen. I feel like I've beaten this dead horse into the ground, Brian, but it's a thing I love talking about. So, Well, so bring me back to design tokens. You're saying 
you'd have a spacing token probably right like a spacing scale of tokens like mm-hmm. small medium large extra large or maybe even just four eight sixteen twenty four mm-hmm. so you use the token to say those constant values on left and right but then you could also say on ipad the value of that token changes to 24 exactly yeah okay. yeah. yeah it's almost like componentizing spacing right it's, right, right. it's canonizing a value that you say this is what it is everywhere and that means that whenever you're designing anything they all fit together and it all has a seamless flow and it looks like it's all part of the same system because it is and you've thought about everything ahead of time and said here's the rules and the rules apply to everything got it basically if you don't have good i'll use your word key lines like it makes readers zigzag their eyes left and right as they're going down the page and you don't want that you want things Aligned so that it's easily scannable, right? Yep. This is all about digestion of the screen. How easy yeah. is it for your eye to scan a page and quickly determine what's the most important stuff and, and jump to the part that you are looking for? All right, Sankath. I hope that was helpful. Yes, I hope so. If not, ask me another question. I'm happy to talk about it some more. We can do a short answer on the second listener question, but I thought it was worth calling out. So we heard from Alex Sikoski, Sikoski who says... Hey guys, longtime listener of the pod, friend of the pod, maybe someday. Okay. Maybe right. today. <laughs> Is this bait? Did we just get baited into answering this question? <laughs> Jeez. Uh, Alec, Alec says, what are your thoughts on sign in with Apple? Specifically the fact that users can mask their email address. I think it's genius. Mm. I think it's really what? smart. They're, well, you're going to talk about ways that it can break down, but let me uh-huh. talk about some positivity. Around. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, first off, the ability to not share my email address when I sign up for a new service and immediately eschew any possibility of getting an inbox full of newsletters and bullshit that I'm not interested in is very appealing to me. Also, the ability for me to change my forwarding address that that random hash <laughs> goes to and it doesn't matter. I, I don't have to go around to all the different services I'm signed up to. I just change my email one place and everything forwards correctly. And if I understand correctly, the that middleman hash thing, email address, automatically deletes the emails it forwards to you as soon as it's done forwarding it to you. So there's no lingering history of whatever you signed up for if you're worried about that kind of thing. Yeah, I think these are all positive. I guess a couple more even like sign in with Apple because it's so tightly integrated with your Apple ID, you get two-factor authentication out of the box. Mm-hmm. So that's either Face ID or Touch ID mm-hmm. or if it's being used on the web, it automatically opens a window to apple.com and it will send you a text message to a trusted phone number and then you get enter the code from there. So built-in two-factor is amazing. It also does some interesting things. I don't know how this works exactly, but this is kind of in the documentation. It says that your user ID that you sign up with is unique across platforms and developers. Mm-hmm. So if you sign up for whatever, uh, Netflix with sign in with Apple on your phone and then you sign in uh, on your TV as well, those will be different IDs. So they wouldn't be able to necessarily track your behavior across devices, assuming you're obfuscating your email in both scenarios. Yep, huge for privacy. Great for privacy. In fact, I feel like this whole email address hiding is something that should have been easier a long time ago. Like, in fact, I wish this specific email per service was just easier in general. So I'm happy to see Apple making moves here. 
But one thing that's interesting this reminded me of is I've seen people that will sign up for every service with something like uh, Brian Levin plus Netflix at gmail.com mm-hmm. because that plus Netflix isn't considered part of the like core email address. So everything will still get routed to Brian Levin at gmail.com. Well, d- Gmail doesn't see it as that, but the service does see it as a unique email address. Yes. So Gmail yes. will interpret it as send this to a Netflix folder automatically or, or put a Netflix tag on it or something. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen people use that in interesting ways because then if every service has its own little identifier and you start getting spam mail or spam email to that email address, you're like, okay, cool. That service sold my email address. Great to know. Yep. Yeah, so that's good. Like, I'm glad all this is becoming easier. I think the only downside here is a little bit tinfoil hatty, which is the more people use sign-in with Apple, the more they're locked into the Apple ecosystem. This is part of building up the walled garden. Mm-mm-mm, that walled garden. So that tasty. Gar- so fun to hang out in. I mean, this is the tension, right? This is the eternal tension in all of computing is how do we make things easy to use and help people make good decisions Uh, but also keep it private. And it turns out that things that are easier to use tend to be a little less private because they need to know more about you and get a little more information, right? Mm -hmm. And in Apple's case, it's like, it's going to be easier to use if you use all our shit in the Mm -hmm. exact same way. Come and live in our beautiful prison. It's beautiful (laughs) in here. It's beautiful and expensive, and it has (laughs) chamfered edges. (laughs) Aluminium. See, I I don't know. I'm trying to think of all the... Negatives here, I guess that's one. If you switch to Android, it's kind of a pain in the ass. If you use a service and the developers were lazy and they put sign in with Apple on the phone but not on the web, then you're not going to be able to sign in on the web. Like it's more work for developers. So there's also this thing Apple does, which is not transparent as far as I can tell, which is as you're signing up for services and you hide your email address it will calculate some sort of fraud score and send that fraud score along to the service that you're signing up for. So you're signing up for Netflix and they get a score. We don't know what this looks like, but I'm going to guess it's like 0.99, let's say on a scale of zero to one, where a one is definitely a human and a zero is definitely a robot. Mm. We don't know how that score is calculated. Obviously, this is Apple. They say they're using machine learning and on-device heuristics to figure out who's a real person or not. This is a good thing, but as with all algorithms, maybe there's some behaviors or cohorts of people where they are not favored in the score and might get false flagged as a, a fraudulent account. I haven't heard anything about that yet, but I guess that's a potential risk, right? Yeah. And then I think the last risk for me is just a problem with like user literacy in general or technology literacy in general, which is that I think people could be confused about the boundary of sign-in with Apple. I know this is a problem for Twitter and Facebook and every other sign-in provider, but there is a boundary of like, okay, you've signed in with Apple and you only sent your name and a fake email address, but then you go on the service and start posting a bunch of other stuff. Like that is all not private. Everything downstream that you do in the app is not magically more private because you signed in with Apple. So you could go on that service and then type in your real email address and 
that service will have your real email address, even though you signed up with something that was more secure. So I guess as long as the in-app or in-platform education is good enough, you don't want people to be confused about that boundary. But if, if the education's good, then this is positive. Otherwise, I could imagine scenarios where people think that by signing in with Apple, the things they're doing in the app are somehow magically more secure. And that's just not the case. Cool. Way to end on a high note. <laughs> We're all fucked. So <laughs> TLDL, pretty good feature. I'm, I'm glad to see it here, mostly because I'm all in on the Apple ecosystem. So if I'm signing up for new shit, like, yeah, let me have a really consistent, fast sign-up experience that works. Okie dokie. Let's get into some cool things, my friend Brian. Do you mind if I go first? Yeah, yeah, go first. Okay, so... I have a television show this week. It is a little bit meta, though, because I don't know. Have you ever watched the show uh, Good Eats with Alton Brown? Uh, no, I think I've only heard that name because he was on Hot Ones, right? He did a yeah, interview. yeah, okay, yeah. He's a he's a foodie guy, uh, very science based instructor kind of a guy, and he had a show back in the nineties and early two thousands that ran for several seasons called Good Eats and. It's kind of hokey. It's lots of skits to try and, you know, it's like edutainment a little bit. But when he gets down to brass tacks and starts cooking and explaining the, you know, chemical reactions that are happening or, you know, what's happening at a molecular level when you use certain heat or whatever, it's super fucking interesting. And I am able to understand it in a way that I wouldn't expect to because I am not a cook at all. <laughs> I am not good in the kitchen but there is a new meta version of this show it's on hulu called good eats reloaded uh matrix vibes and uh, <laughs> it's super meta in that it's it's replays of the old episodes but alton will jump in like you know 20 years older alton will will jump in with far less hair and far more wrinkles and jump in and be like, actually, this was wrong. And here's what I do now, 20 years later. Here's how I've updated my recipe. Or here's an interesting thing. Before we were shooting this scene, I actually crashed that moped and I was black and blue for weeks, but I tried to make it look like nothing happened in the in the actual take that made it on the episode. Uh, so it's like cool little behind the scenes things about the show plus updates to things that he's changed his mind on or there's better science on. And I just really like the man and uh, really enjoy the show. Just a lot of really informative, cool food stuff for people who aren't into cooking. Damn, there should be more content like that just in general, right? Mm -hmm. Like, let's hey, let's revisit some old stuff and see if it holds up. Yeah. Here's some things that I did or said I was wrong. Or here's, there there should be like a, a Twitter sidecar that's only for like correcting yourself or mm. i said this dumb thing but i've since learned and become a better person here's my updated take <laughs> yeah a little sidebar i like that yeah anyways that's my cool thing well i guess on a related note so last night we watched a film together that you had not seen before true dear listener this is very rare <laughs> like even more interestingly rare because this is a new film and a film that's gotten really good reviews. From a director I really like. From a director you really like. And so when we were hanging out, picking out a movie to watch, 
Knives Out comes up on the screen. And I say, Marshall, have you seen Knives Out? And you said, no. And I was like, oh, my God. You ha- how have you not seen this yet? Well, I, well I, I never got a chance to go see it in the theater. And I didn't even realize until we saw it in iTunes that it was available for purchase. And I bought it immediately. Yeah. Okay. So we watched Knives Out. Do you want to give your hot, hot take review? Uh, 10 out of 10. Loved it. Great. Okay. It was good. And what happened after the movie is we went into the extras menu and started, we looked, we watched the deleted scenes and then we scrolled to the director's commentary and you started describing how Ryan Johnson does this thing where he will do what's called like a theater commentary. He's the only one I know who does this, by the way. So this is a roundabout way for me to say that director's commentaries are cool things. <laughs> and I did not know that they were cool things until you told me about them. I think it was a year ago when Avengers mm-hmm. Endgame came out. Because for some reason, just the name director commentary in my head all this time, I was picturing directors st- sitting in their like little director's chairs <laughs> talking at me. Uh-huh. I'm like, that sounds boring as shit. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. So I never watched a director commentary. But you told me to watch one, and I watched one for, I think it was either Endgame or Infinity War. And it is not that. It is actually just watching the film, and the directors are just talking over it. So you're not losing any of the visual experience, but you're just getting this added information when, you know, oh, this interesting thing happened when we were filming this scene, or you might not have caught this little Easter egg we hid in this scene. Mm -hmm. So it's actually really fun. So anyways, we, we got started on the Knives Out one, but it was already super late at night. But anyways, I guess that's my cool thing for people like me who, who might be under the impression that director's commentaries are this boring thing. They are, in fact, very fun and informative and, and are worth a, uh, a watch. Yeah. Well, anyways, director's commentaries, cool thing. Thanks for the tip, Marshall. This is kind of a, it's a hack because this is technically your cool thing that I've just appropriated as my cool nah, thing. No, no. Feel free. <laughs> Cool. I will. All right. Let's wrap. That was it. Episode 334. Let's hit us up. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. Hope you enjoyed listening. If you did, check out our Patreon. We're a listener supported show. For just a buck a month, you get access to a supporter only RSS feed with bonus land, bonus land, bonus land content, as well as uh, sponsor free episodes. So that's at patreon.com slash design details. If you need more podcasts for your ears in the meantime, go to spec.fm. That's our podcast network for designers and developers just like you. And uh, if you're feeling generous, be like our friend of the pod, Michael Knepprath, and go leave us a review on iTunes. We enjoy reading those. Uh, And Apple also enjoys reading them. It tells Apple that people listen to the show and helps Apple recommend us to more people so the show can keep on growing. We appreciate those. So iTunes reviews, hit us up on Twitter. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Bye. The classic. Nailed it. I will believe it when I see it, but I want to believe it, Brian. I want to believe. I'm Mulder over here. I just, okay. I want to believe too, but I'm wondering. So as as we go down the list.
this whole reference is over my head. You never watched X-Files, Brian? Uh, no, that was like just before my time. I think my brother watched it. <whistles> Nothing. This is sparking no emotional reaction. Somebody out there listening knows what I'm <laughs> talking about. I want to believe, Brian. Continue. <laughs>